0: And if this is your first week, this is also a really interesting week for you to be here as well because uh, um, I'm I'm usually the person preaching on Sunday mornings, uh, but I get all of June to take a a breather and uh, have invited a good friend of mine uh, who's a pastor down in Illinois to come and spend the month up here or a couple, two and a half weeks up here, and she's going to be carrying a load of the sermons for uh, the month of June. And uh, she, Jen Swift from Illinois, she's a pastor uh, of... uh, church uh, down in Illinois called The House. And you guys are four years in. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, you planted four years ago. Yeah. And I've got a chance. It's actually in my hometown. So I, when I go back and visit my parents, I get to go to The House and uh, experience uh, beautiful church there. So Jen and I met in 2000, I think it was 2001. So 18, 17, 18 years ago. And I was just entering university and Jen had just finished university and she was coming to help lead a young adult ministry at the church I was attending. And uh, pretty quickly uh, we became friends and, uh, and uh, we uh have, have lots of fun memories together. So Jen will be here as pastor in residence for uh, another couple of weeks. So you may not, hear me clear, may not ask her about my past. <laughs> no questions asked please and no sharing either. Um, but Jen, Jen's, a, ever since I've known her, Jen's been a worship leader, a, uh, an artist, a woman of God, a woman of faith, and a mentor to me in many ways. And ever since I came to Grassroots, I was hoping that we could at some point could spend a significant amount of time on the topic of worship. What is worship? How do we turn our hearts and affections towards God? How do we do that in our own lives? How do we do that as a community? And how do we utilize Sunday mornings, the space that we have here every week with the community to bring our hearts and our worries and our joys and all of this up to God? So uh, I wanted to do this for a couple years and uh, Jen had some time here in June and invited her up and thought she'd be much better at that than me. So I'm um, glad that you're here, Jen. I'm so grateful that you've come to be with the community here. A couple uh, instructions before she comes up. You'll have... Uh, pieces of paper on your chair or on the chair next to you. Jen, Jen at her church uh, does really interesting thing in that sometimes they do series where there's someone gets up and speaks for 15 minutes or so and then has a panel come up and, and so we're kind of experimenting with that in a way um, and uh, what these papers pieces of paper are for uh, today we're talking about um, personal worship, worship in our private lives. What do we do when we're at home with God just just us in God, and uh, would invite you to write any questions you have about your personal life of faith, or the personal life of faith, how that works, on these, on these pieces of paper. If you have a pen, just use that. There's, back on the table back there, there's pencils. If you don't have a writing utensil, you can just go back at any point and get that. Um, and write those on there. Jen and I, will we'll collect them, bring them up here, put them in this basket uh, when you come up for communion. And uh, we'll collect those, and during the week, Jen and I will read them, and we we thought we'd podcast something together to answer some of your questions. But also extend the invitation as well, uh, that if you're interested in meeting with Jen, if you want to have a coffee with her, we're actually interested, too, to see if there's anybody or a few people that have questions about the personal life of faith that want to gather together for a coffee or something uh, this week. And if you're interested, just come up to me afterwards. Let me know that you're interested in meeting with Jen or... Go up to Jen and let her know. Um, we've talked about this and are interested in anyone who wants to, to have one-on-one, two-on-one, small group conversation on a follow-up. So anyway, there's a long introduction to what will be a good morning. So Jen, I'm so glad you're here and uh, invite you and welcome you to Grassroots.
1: Thanks all. I'm happy to be with you in person this week. I had a couple of people that come up, they had come up to me and they're like, it was so nice to see you last week. And I I mean, I was here, but I wasn't here, and so that was really, um, it's an interesting experience to have people know you before you've been to their place. But um, you guys have given me uh, a wonderfully warm welcome, so thank you. Even before I got here, I was welcomed, and I am grateful for that. Um, Anytime you move into somebody else's space, um, their regular space, you want to treat it with care, you know, like you guys are... Um, hosting me you're being hospitable and I am grateful for that I'm really grateful for that so um, thanks so much for opening your home to me um, for this period of time while I get to be here I will say um, so I yes I live down in Illinois but I am not from the Midwest originally I hail from uh, western New York I actually spent a lot of time growing up in Ontario, but like that end of Ontario, the small end of Ontario, I guess, um, Toronto, Hamilton, Kitchener, Waterloo, that kind of, that space. Um, And because I grew up where I grew up, I would like to say that I know what snow is, okay? (laughs) The Midwest does not. (laughs) They don't get a lot, but I do, okay? And I would like to... I would like to be on par with you guys in what I believe snow to be. Um, The year that I actually moved to Illinois, Buffalo, which was like just, I mean, it's the next town over, um, got three meters of snow in like two days. And they knew what to do with it (laughs) because that's how we grew up. We knew what Lake effect snow was. The thing that throws me off about where I live, but I think you guys have a better handle on the snow and the extreme temperatures, that is entirely new to me because in Illinois, Canada kindly sends us their Arctic wind, and I'm appreciative for that. And getting to know what minus 40 degree minus 40 degrees feels like, is uncomfortable. (laughs) Like, in New York, where I grew up, you know, like, it would snow, but it would be, like, balmy. It would be, like, hanging, so R32 at zero, right? And that was, like, that's pleasant. But, like, 40 degrees below... Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same there. Like At that point, they just, they just give up. And they're like, it's, we're fine. It's, we give up. And that's really cold. However, when I left Illinois, and this is the thing that's hard, because you can experience 40 degrees below zero, and then all the way up to the, do you know the feature on the weather app that says feels like? Yeah. That's nonsense. That's a terrible idea. I don't want to know that it feels like 120 degrees outside. I don't want to know that information. When I left the Quad Cities, it was 90 degrees, 80 to 90 degrees. So that's somewhere around, like, it's 40-something, right? It's warm. It is not that temperature here. And so I'm walking around seeing people in flip-flops and shorts, and I'm like, I'm so cold right now. And that is where I give you guys so much credit. Good job for hanging in there with the shorts and the t-shirts, because I'm sure that you guys are like, we are just busting out of winter any possible way we can. Good job, everyone. All right, so um, just to give you a little bit of background, yes, I am a pastor in Illinois. We are four years old. Prior to that, I worked at a large church for about 13 years. Um, I definitely really enjoy a smaller church setting, a smaller community um, that's a better fit for me. Um, but I, it was an important place for me to work for what I needed to learn. I've also taught music, both in school and uh, private lessons, for about 20 years. Um, I travel quite a bit with work that I do with families, uh, specifically children that are a part of families who work overseas. And in um, where I live, I'm the producing manager of our city's orchestra. And all of that to say, um, I've worked with people a very long time, and it's amazing because I'm only 29 years old. That would be, that was a long time ago, actually. (laughs) I am 42. I have done a lot of things in that period of time, and I am so grateful for what God has allowed me to experience. I've worked in education, in ministry, cross-cultural settings, within the arts, with every age, every background, church and non-church settings, religious but not Christian. Um, I'm telling you all of this not because it's cool, but to say that although I adore what I get to do, more so this has, um, this kind of, range and scope of things um, that God has allowed me to experience has developed in me a deep and profound interest in how humanity connects with something bigger than itself, Um, how specifically how humans connect with God um, globally across age groups. I did not grow up in a Christian home. And when I met Jesus, it was a a profound experience for me. It was healing. It was transformative. And when I tell you that Jesus transforms lives, I don't just say it because I'm a pastor and I have to. I say it because I believe it with everything in me. That Jesus transforms us. And everything that I do is done with the hope of seeing people sit down at a table with Jesus to have a conversation if I can facilitate that in any way, I will find a way to do that. I believe so deeply if people could just sit down at a table with Jesus to have a conversation, they would love him. They would love him. And they'd experience transformation. We are talking about worship this month. And as I said last week, I spoke about three different kinds of engagements, private, public, and a variant on that. Um, corporate or um, congregational, we are working under the assumption that Scripture tells us that we have an open invitation to the throne at all times. So that's where we're starting from. And as we said, um, and this is this is what we say at the house, that worship is turning our hearts and affections towards God. And Scripture speaks so much of this act of turning, turning towards God, turning away from God. Scripture says things like, but they turned their hearts away. They turned their hearts towards God. They turned away. Like that turning, it's an act. It's a physical idea that is completely consuming. You can physically turn. You can mentally, emotionally, spiritually turn. And this week, of course, we said we are going to be digging into the private aspects of it. That is where we are starting. Um, And in thinking of these different kinds of engagements, I want you to think of it like a spectrum, and private will fall on on the extreme end of one of them. So if you're a left-handed person or a right-handed person, you get to decide. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. But private will be on one far end, and it's a spectrum all the way through to the very um, the the many right the throngs of people so, and and I say it's a spectrum as a, as opposed to three distinct stations because there are aspects of um, the private life that is so solely just you and God, but even just this morning like sitting here I was able to have a very intimate moment with God that was private to me even though I'm among others and that is moving towards the public space right. It's either right there or just kind of maybe in between. So all of this is kind of a spectrum that we um, function on. And our private experience, though, is, is exactly that. If you're the need- And, and I'm, I'm wanting to speak of it on the very far end today. It is the alone spaces where we are not going to likely be interrupted by anything or anyone else. These are the spaces where people aren't milling about. You're not going to run into anybody. They're not passing through. You know what your private set-aside places look like. And last week, we talked about the need for balance within the private, public, and corporate experience, the corporate engagement in our lives with God. Um, And so you have to know what those look like for you to some degree and where you fall into engagement on those spectrums. Introverts and extroverts, I'm an introvert, and so what privacy and private time looks like to me is different for what that looks like to an extrovert. But our comfort with each level of engagement will tell us so much about ourselves and about why we relate to God the way we do. So let's talk about what worship looks like on this end of the spectrum, it's um, what I'm about to go through, it's not an exhaustive list, and it's not a, like a, a list that's like in order of importance, okay? It's just a list that I've compiled of um, merely helpful, guiding uh, points um, to think about as I've worked through some passages um, specifically about worship. And I should also add that not all of these are exclusive to private worship, but they are essential. Um, to that private time with God, if that's not going to, um, or rather, if, if private worship is going to have any meaning for us at all, and to, and it's going to be a way that we engage with God, these things, they really have to be considered. Um, because if they are not practiced within the private context, they will not actually show up in truth in the public spaces. We We probably can know how to replicate them or do things that look like this, Um, but if these elements are not actually um, practiced and developed in the private life, they won't be real in the public one. So first on this list is being honest with God. In your private time with the Lord, honesty you remember Jesus' meeting with the woman at the well? And he said to her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If there's any space that you can be honest with God, it is in this private space. If you are angry, you can have a full on tantrum. If you are hurt, be hurt. If you are ecstatic and you are undignified, be ec- ecstatic and undignified. I love a dance party. <laughs> I was um, working on the sermon last night in the study and I, the, my process is to, to lay out papers and to do some moving around with ideas. And I put on some music and I was moving. Guys, have a dance party. <laughs> I, and I knew I could do that. <laughs> I mean I'll have a dance party probably anywhere but like it was a private it was definitely a private space and I was enjoying that time with God. But do that. Enjoy that. Take advantage of the fact that you have private space to do that. You know what it likes what it looks like to expect to need or to hope for honesty from someone and not get it. In fact, some of you have experienced friendships, families, uh, family, or romantic relationships fail over this very thing. Emotional, personal, mental, physical, spiritual honesty, things unquestionably fall apart without it. You must have honesty as a key piece to your private relationship and worship with God. Be vulnerable. It's not worth it to put up walls between you and God. He created you. He knows his way around them anyway. It's just a farce. Um, if you've spent any time in the book of Psalms, you have seen this. Psalm 22, David said, Trouble is near and there is no one to help. David got pretty vulnerable in the Psalms. I mean, we could spend a whole series on that alone. Um, There was nothing protecting his emotions or mental state from God. He was pretty raw. It was all out there. Psalm 139, he just point blank says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If this were to be a personal relationship, if we're speaking of relationships between human to human, this is the person... This is the level, this is the kind of engagement um, where your dirty laundry is seen, right? And I don't mean just like literally your dirty laundry, although some of you are like, no, you can't see my dirty laundry, but like the dirty laundry, right? And this is the, the kind of person that knows your family's secrets. This is the level of which your ugly is seen. Um, the things that you're ashamed of are known. And you have to ask yourself, is Jesus, is Jesus allowed to see your dirty laundry lying all over the floor? Is he allowed to see that junk room that you always close the door to when people come over? I hear you laughing. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that laugh is like, a oh, I have one of those. Yeah. We do. We all have those things. Being vulnerable has to be a part, though, of our experience with Christ on the private levels. Reverent. Our worship with God in our private uh, spaces needs to be reverent, deep regard and respect. And this will tie in with the next one, humility. But in terms of reverence, Hebrews twelve twenty eight says, "Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Guys, where do I begin when we talk about reverence and awe? The goodness, the faithfulness, the love, the kindness, the care, the the fill-in-the-blank. It can be anything. Think about God's story with humankind. If we were to take time, think about it. Just like the song said this morning, we would be overwhelmed. We would be overwhelmed. And reverence and awe would not be difficult. It would be so easy But along the same lines, so I mentioned humility, one of the words often used for worship is proskuneo, and it means to prostrate oneself, to kiss the hand, to fawn or crouch at the feet of. (laughs) Romans 12, this is a good one when we talk about... Uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's really good. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Humility and reverence partner together. I think you can't be irreverent and humble at the same time. We remember Philippians 2, which is a great passage for this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others than yourself. So when you think of someone you have deep respect for and revere, and we all have somebody, I would think, that is somebody that we have deep respect for or have. You've experienced that in your life. There's a sense that you have something to ascribe to, You have something to rise to. You know that there's room to grow because of what you see in this other person. Something more you hope to achieve in light of this other. You have a real sense of knowing your own shortcomings in that area that you see them being strong in and capable in and accomplished in. And you look and you think, ah, I have such reverence and respect and awe for that person. Because they really seem to understand or have this figured out or this. And you have a natural humility in light of that, don't you? That is a part of that experience. So reverence and awe partnered with humility. Worship in this private area, worship in general, but in this private area, again, these are the places where this needs to really take root, must be sacrificial which is to say it's not looking for reciprocity. It's not looking for a return. If you're looking to get something back, that your worship to God means that he now owes you something, you need to reevaluate. We do not worship God because of what it will get us. That is insincere and that is vain. Worship love that isn't sacrificial is just payment. And payment for something that you don't believe was given to you results in debt, the belief that we are owed something. Has someone ever given you something and there was just um, this underlying, unspoken reality that you now owed them something? You felt that, right? You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's an entirely self-imposed. Sometimes you can feel that debt when it wasn't necessarily there, but sometimes it's, it's really there, it's really unspoken. Somebody gives you something they're like, no, it's totally free. And you're like, actually I don't want it <laughs> because of what that means, right? You now feel like you owe something to that person and that until you paid them back, you were indebted to them. There's no freedom in that kind of relationship. You know how that feels when you feel like you owe something to somebody, or they are probably expecting something in return from you. You don't want to see that person. You avoid them. You take a different route. You might, you do other things. That is not freedom, folks. There's no freedom in that kind of relationship. And let me be very strong here God does not owe us anything, He doesn't owe us anything. And when we put those kinds of unspoken underlying elements into our life with Christ, it creates a tension that was not meant to be there. If our worship isn't sacrificial, it will expect something back. And we'll start saying things like, but God, I did. We worship God because he is worth it. We worship him because he's worth it and we get to. We worship him because we love him and we want to express it. And worship at a private level needs to be our whole self. Mind, soul, body, heart. Don't hold anything back. Don't compartmentalize. Don't worship God just with your mind. Don't worship him just with your heart. Offer him everything. The Shema, which is a a foundational prayer and acclamation of the Israelite community of the Jewish community. Hear, O Israel, our Lord, our God is one. It is where we. It continues on that says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength." And later on, we see it quoted in the Gospels, Luke ten twenty seven, when Jesus asked the the rich young ruler about the commands. What are the commands? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12, again, our passage on worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve. Test and approve, that's, that's kind of a mental thing, yeah? What God's will is is good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need to be fully engaged with our whole self. Worship will also be transformative. It will 100% transform you. You cannot leave time with the Savior and not have him start or continue the good work that he has begun in you. I could spend weeks alone on how Christ transforms us. I said it at the beginning. I believe it with everything I am. You will be transformed. And it must be sincere. What's the point of being insincere anyway? Further down in this Romans passage, it says love must be sincere. And sincerity is different than honesty because there is a heart piece to it. I can be honest with you in in sharing information, right? I can be honest with the sharing of information. I can put information on the table and have it all out there. But it can still be done begrudgingly, right? Something that is insincere um, or something that is sincere involves the heart. And it must be focused on God. He is the object of our affection anyway, isn't he? He is all the things you need him to be. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He is the great I am. Those are all-encompassing things. Be turned towards Him. And truthfully, this is a really nice list, but without question, as I went back through this, any number of us bristled at these, right? They made us uncomfortable and we pushed back. We heard something and we we're like, oh, I don't I don't know about that. Or how it was described, like, I don't know if that's entirely true. There were pieces to it that that struck us a little bit. And those are things that are worth paying attention to. I'm just going to read the headers of that list one more time, and I invite you to make mental note or write down the ones that were unpleasant. And don't worry, your neighbor won't read them. They'll be, they'll be focusing on you not reading theirs either. How you respond to any one of the above... Um, Pay attention to that. It is telling in regards to how you relate to God and how your relationship with him is constructed. Worship is honest. Worship is vulnerable. It's reverent. It's humble. It's sacrificial. It is our full self. It is transformative. It is sincere and it focuses on God. And as I said, if these are not showing up in your private experience with God, they will not show up in truth in your public experience with God. And as we said, how we develop and grow in relationship with God is quite influenced by how we develop and grow in our relationship with others. Last week I presented that we are relational beings. We can't do anything about that. And as we grow and develop in relationship with God, we respond to the Lord in parallel ways. When talking about worship, We must frame it within the context of relationship. And to do so well, we need to evaluate what our relationship to and with God is. So I want to ask the question, what do we believe to be true about God? Some of those answers started popping up when I was going through that list. What you believe to be true is what's behind the discomfort that showed up a moment ago. Some of you may be thinking, God judges me and will punish me. And that affects your private time. God is generous, but with conditions. God owes me something because I've given. God is taken. God will take advantage of my vulnerability. God will expose me. These things show up because our relationships with the people around us inform that. We begin very early on in our lives creating truth constructs, and our lives get lived out of these truths, and we build and conduct our relationships out of this. And so how we relate to God is informed by how we relate to others so much. And so most often, instead of letting our life of worship of Christ inform our worldview and our relationships, we let our relationships inform our worship of God and how that experience is integrated into our lives. And what do we do about that? That list that I came, through, came up with, it's just it's good information, Take note and bring those things into the conversation with God. It does no one no good to pretend those things aren't a part of the relationship with you and Jesus when they actually are. And in a room this size, a group of people like this, there are people in here that have experienced a range of relationship pain, broken promises, hurt, etc. And those things have 100% found their way into your relationship with God and how you relate to him. So let's get that sorted out, okay? Let's get to work on that. It is good work to do. It is transformative work. Now, some of you, those things are so influencing that you've actually stayed away from a private life of worship entirely. You don't know how to engage in it. It doesn't make sense to you. You think, it's too much alone. I feel silly or because of the things that we just mentioned, you just don't want to. You just don't want that private time with God. And we stay away from private worship because it's vulnerable and we will be revealed. And truth is established in private and it is proven in public. Truth is established in private and it is proven in public. That is a difficult idea. But we need the spaces that are away from others to be able to regroup and get centered and get vulnerable and get naked. I said it. I did. did. Worship challenges us to take an honest look within. Howard L. Rice describes facing one's moral shortcomings it's as a not, it's not easy. He says, God requires honesty from us and such honesty can be painful because God knows us better than we know ourselves. Pretending will not work. God's knowledge of us demands that we come to terms with who we really are in a meaningful relationship, and this could be a close friend, it could be a romantic partner, you could never survive or gain depth if you didn't have one-on-one time set apart. We know that, right? We are fully aware of that. One-on-one time set apart to, to talk, to encourage each other, to experience intimacy, to set each other straight, to convey what's happening in your lives. I have a best friend She hears it all. I need that person in my life in which to share information and to hear information back about my life. Some of you may have a really good handle on this area. You may have no trouble setting aside time for God in your life in a private setting, in a private worship life. You meet with him regularly. You share your heart. That is so good to hear. But let's be clear, and as we said it, if this is all that exists... If this is all that exists, and I know that that is true for some people, we also have a problem. We have met many people that have said, I don't need to go to church. I can connect with God on my own. I go out into nature. I go do this. I, have, I worship God at home, in my garden, whatever. I can connect with God on my own. And if that were a human-to-human human relationship, that would sound ridiculous. That would be an insane idea oh, you think that that relationship is going deeper and growing because you've secluded it off away from everybody else? That actually sounds unhealthy, right? We've had people that have gotten into relationships. We have friends that have gotten into, like, romantic relationships, and we never see them again, right? And you're like, where'd they go? I don't know. They only only see each other. And we're like, that's not a good idea. That needs to be a part of a larger experience. so it's either the friend that we're ashamed of and we don't want people to know that we have, or it's the relationship we want to keep quiet about. Either way, it's control. We are trying to control something here. We don't want to let other people in. That's a problem. When I first became a Christian, I was 14. I didn't go to church for months. I didn't actually know that that was a thing to do. I hadn't grown up in a church. I didn't know it was important and it didn't even occur to me. But I was reading my Bible every day. God was growing me. His spirit was moving in me. I was being transformed. I was responding to him and I was undoubtedly growing. There was evidence of the spirit at work in my life. But my reason for not balancing out the experience, I had a lot of private stuff going on, private growth in Christ. I did not have a community experience. Again, because I didn't know yet. But the reality is, this was an immature relationship. It wasn't going to get beyond a certain point if this is all it kept, or this is all it was, right? I needed a community, but also a community needed me. And that's not an arrogant statement to say that about yourself. Private worship that believes that this is enough is broken. I have um, piano students that I have come to my house. <clears throat> they, uh, I, had these kind of cohorts, so age peer levels. Um, they come together before a recital, and we do a group a group experience, and they play their songs for each other. And um, uh, and I I have great relationships with all these families, but one mom said to me they were gonna um, something was going on, and she said, oh, actually we won't be there. Um, I mean Ro- she's Rosie's been a part of these now for a while. She knows what's going on, and. And their, their reason for being gone was legitimate. However, her, her response, though, I was like, not the point, you know? Because, sure, Rosie knows what's going on. But if all of my students had the same feeling, oh, I know what's going on, I don't need to be there, nobody would come, and that would miss the point. Because lessons aren't just, you don't want to keep music in just isolation, and just the lessons, what's the point, right? You want to take it beyond that experience. That's why you're learning it. And so what what was missing was the reality that I had other students that were going to miss out on benefiting from Rosie being there. And, And that's the whole idea, is that we're here to benefit from each other, to grow with each other, to gain something more as a whole that we couldn't just on our own. And that is why I say when you only have one of them and it's not balanced out, something is broken. You know, you have papers. You are welcome to write down questions about what a private worship experience looks like. I think probably we're out of time for a conversation, but I would love to invite a public conversation through these papers um, in any any form. And so um, I would love to have, yeah, I would love to continue this conversation as a community. But as we wrap this up, I want to, you know, I can talk about tools and I could give you specifics and that would be, that would be fine. Um, in fact, if we got together this week, I'd probably, that's the kind of stuff that we might also get into and how you personally interact with God in your private time and what your personality and what you, how you learn and grow, what that does to inform um, that experience. But what I want to specifically say and offer you is, when we talk about turning our hearts and affections towards God... How does that look towards the people that you care about and love in your own regular life? And do that with the Lord. You don't have to overthink it, honestly. Well, what can I do to, to make this time more valuable? Think about that list, and if, you're, if you are being honest and vulnerable. But if you wanna turn your hearts and affections towards God, what does that look like to the people you care about here and in your families and homes? work, school, whatever, and, and do that because that seems natural to you, doesn't it? I would, I would say go away this week working on some output in that way, um, returning that to God. Worship will transform you. I can't tell you how much I believe that. Worshiping God will transform you, but it will cost you something, um, Because again, it's sacrificial. You will be trading the volume of your life for his, your burden for his, and you will be left empty of you. And that's the thing about worship. God will not take it from you. We offer it. We offer him our worship. And if you find yourself resenting God for what you believe he's taken from you, you may need to, again, evaluate, reevaluate that. Worship will cost you your life, but it will transform you. And isn't that the point? Isn't that what we're doing here? We believe God is capable of doing more than we ask and could possibly imagine. So let's sit with him a while at the table and listen to him and turn our hearts and affections towards him in those quiet spaces where it feels a little awkward maybe at first. Or maybe you just need to get to the table. You just need to be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit willing to believe that the way you have had a human interaction that may have been unhealthy is not what God wants to do with you. He wants to transform your whole self. And I would encourage you this week to be brave and and investigate that in your private lives. And trust him. Trust him with your time.
0: Thanks, Jen. That's great. As you were speaking, I was... uh we've talked about this month and what this pastor in residence idea is about, and I've been thinking the um, past couple of weeks, but then it just came to me more as I was listening, that um, I think what we're doing here is we're saying, how can we as a community take, take this month, how can we as a community grow in our worship? How can we grow just a little bit more? And what we've done, I think, is set a big banquet table up, and you and I are sitting across the table, and we're going to have the conversation and Everyone else here is invited to join in. And we're gonna have it if no one else wants it. We'll be there and there'll be lots of leftover food. Uh, But one way to do that is take your questions and drop it in. If you don't have a ton of time in in the next couple weeks, drop it in and Jen and I will be able to sort of know what's on your mind. Uh, But also, again, if you want a one-on-one coffee with Jen, and talk more about this kind of stuff, she's available. Just go up to her after service, let her know, give her your information. Come up to me, let me know you're wanting to, a place at this conversation table, and uh, keep your eyes out. We'll have a few different spaces available um, for this conversation. So you all, everyone here is invited to, to join in. Um, and as we come to the table, as we do every week, we remember that uh, we are uh, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us in a way that drew his people together to come and follow him and worship him. And so we come and we, we think of whatever God has inspired us with today, whatever he's spoken to you individually, we come with those prayers. But then we look around ourselves and remember that we're not alone. Uh, God has been speaking to every single person in this room. And uh, we come as a community and gathered together. So this is a practice that Jesus created to help remind us of that, that we, uh, this is his body and somehow we are his body. And so we take the the bread and we dip it in the juice and we eat it to uh, bring our prayers to God, to tell him once again that we are, that we love him, that we are with him, and to do that together and discern and look around us and remember that each and every one of us come and we're in this together. So friends, the table is set here and everyone is welcome.